So the big question is this, how do value-obsessed leaders ascend their business and life to world-class levels of effectiveness, even if they're inside a bureaucracy or starting from scratch with absolutely no capital? That is the question, and this podcast is going to bring you the answer. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is the Terminal Value Podcast. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. We have Bill Humbert with us today, and we're going to be talking about disrupting HR in the recruiting process. And because in the in the pre-recording interview, one of the things that Bill and I talked about that's actually is really prescient or relevant in the current time frame is the idea that recruiting, which is typically done by HR, and again, nothing. This is not to dig on HR, but you know, recruiting, which is typically done by HR, is actually more of a sales process than a compliance process. And so, if you look at it from that lens, it makes a, you know, attracting, retaining talent a much different conversation, and it also changes the way that you might want to source that. For example, you know there are many HR compliance things that you need to do, and it's very important to make sure that those happen. Uh, but when you're talking about recruiting, that is the exact opposite from a compliance activity. Bill, please help me fill in the gaps, show me where I'm, uh, where I'm missing it, and introduce yourself. So Doug, you know, it's kind of fun to be on this with you because it's my passion to help companies understand they've got recruiting in the wrong place. It needs to be over in operations yeah. where they're feeling the pain yeah. <laughs> and not in HR where they're really not feeling too much pain about it. So I've been a recruiter since 1981. So I have over 40 years of experience in recruiting and it's mostly a professional recruiting background, except for a year and oh, seven months with a pre-IPO startup as their recruiting manager and literally the day they went public and my stock options became stock, I said, hey, guys, that was fun. <laughs> See you later. I'm trying to think of you know, the, my old line, right? They say it's been real, it's been fun, but it hasn't been real fun. I'll see you later. <laughs> That's it. It is. And what I discovered when I was inside spying on them as a professional recruiter, HR does not trust sales professionals. Professional recruiters are sales professionals. <laughs> so well, yes, the director of HR didn't trust me. Oh, that's interesting. That, that that's interesting. Well, I mean, you know, and and of course, we're talking about disrupting HR from the recruiting process. That's kind of a catchy headline, but from a practical perspective, in your view or in your experience, what does that look like? You know, how do you practically implement this? Because I think it's actually a prescient point for both large and small businesses, but I think small businesses are more likely to implement it because in a lot of large businesses, you have to go through the internal power struggle to make any kind of meaningful change. So in a lot of larger businesses, you know, recruiting is HR's turf, and that's something that will be, you know, and then shifting that responsibility out of HR would be a lot of work. Well, at least a lot of pain anyway. <laughs> I For the smaller companies that are beginning to grow, Act like university, the large university athletic directors. Okay. And by that, I mean, know who your targets are. Who are you, who are you thinking that when I have an opening, I'm going to go after Duck? Yeah. And, and the great example that I have for this was March a year ago, the University of Utah let their basketball coach go. Uh-huh. 11 days later, they announced 
who the new basketball coach was going to. So be. that means that meant they already had it. They already had it in the bag. Yeah, they didn't post on Indeed, <laughs> <laughs> right? They went out and they he knew, and I saw that he approached somebody, and that person turned him down. So he had a list of people he was going down yeah. that he wanted to go after. Went after the top one, that one said no. Went after the second one, that one said yes. And 11 days later, they had a new coach. Well, small businessmen can do the same. You know who it is in your industry or even outside of your industry that you may want to go after. That's a much better way of doing than expecting HR to find that person because they aren't. Yeah. I think there's a second half to what you said too. So the first half is to say, okay, you know what, you know, is to say, all right, what does your dream team look like? And then who are the people that would match that profile? And then the second piece is going to be, you're going to have to go out and sell them on coming to work for you, which is a lot different than posting a job description out there and waiting for people to apply to it. You know, those are completely different processes. I mean, because yeah, because for anybody who's ever had to sell, getting somebody to pay attention to you when you're arriving un, you know, unannounced is not an easy thing to do. Right. So you build a relationship with them ahead of time and it doesn't, you don't have to let them know that you've got them on your radar to hire them in the future. You're just yeah. building a relationship. And once that relationship is established, now the path to them is very easy. And, and okay, so so now let, let, let's unpack that a little bit because I think there's some that there's some gold in what you just said there. So now, when when you talk about building a relationship, uh, what what are some of the best ways to do that? I mean, you know, of course, yeah, I have a couple of ideas, but you're the guest, so I want to hear I want to hear what you're saying first. <laughs> well, think about this: How do you build a relationship with anybody? It's almost like dating. Yeah, <laughs> really. And I haven't done that for over forty eight years. Yeah. <laughs> But I've been a recruiter for almost 40 so or over 40. So here's, here's what you think about. You, you just reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I really I see what you're doing. It looks very interesting. Would you mind just sitting down over lunch so I can learn more about your background? Well, if it's a guy, he's going to go out to lunch with you because men like food. That's pretty well established. Yeah. Um, <laughs> women, yeah, maybe, you know, if it's an interesting, you know, if, if they are aware of you and they think yeah. that you may have an interesting something going on that maybe they want to learn about, they'll go out to lunch with you too. Well, I think that's uh, that's good. It's nice and simple also. It's always helpful because I've been guilty of overcomplicating things in the past, in, you know, in my, in my professional life because, you know, comp- you know, making things complicated makes you feel smart, but the problem is complicated processes are very hard to maintain. And implement. Yeah. Yes. So, so yes. So if you just keep it simple and then say at the end of lunch, wow, this is really nice meeting with you. And, you know, we ought to do this like once every, and then depending on your calendar, four months, six months, whatever. However long. Yeah. Right. And it can be zoom sometimes in person, sometimes just catching up on your progress of what you, you know, you talked about this project you were working on, be interested in finding out how that's going. And, and, and so essentially you're building a friendship with that person mm-hmm. and you're also building trust well, and, well, that and trust. Uh, yeah. Well, and I was going to say, what, what, one that way that, yeah. One way that I would append on what you're saying is in addition to having the conversation, ask their input 
for relevant either, you know, uh, projects, work items, whatever that you're doing, because then that will not just create awareness, but will also also help bridge them over to engagement. It's because, you know, I found that your, your best chance of closing a sale, because again, you're thinking of it like a sale, your best chance of closing a sale is going, you know, your first step is awareness. The second step is engagement, you know, and, you know, when, when you get over the engagement threshold, you have a much better chance of getting somebody to say yes. Exactly. Exactly. And that's how I recruited for, well, when I was doing contingent recruiting, you know, I didn't get paid yeah. a fee until the person started, my candidate started. And sometimes it was a quick introduction and then get them off to the candidate or to the interview. Sometimes it was, you know what, I'm not working on anything like that right now, but let's stay in touch. Yep. And I'm confident in the future, I probably will. And I've had people say, you know, we've talked for two years. I never thought that you would call me with an opportunity. And every single time I did that, they accepted the job. Uh, that's awesome. Well, and, and I think that, you know, especially if, you know, if, cause if you're going after targeted talent, you know, I think that, you know, something like that could be feasible. Of course, the, the thing is that, you know, if you have an opening this month and you want to try to fill it this month, unless you've already done that work, then it's, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to happen. And I think that's actually uh, what that comes back to is the first thing you said, which is to build a plan for the talent that you want to acquire because you know you have to start with that plan and then know who are the people that are going to most closely match those profiles and you know so you know so so then what you could then what you could do is start building those relationships so that either a when they become available b when you have a need or c when you can afford to bring them on board because like you know if you're a smaller company or if you're a new entrepreneur you know you could say okay what does my in-state dream team look like i can't afford to hire any of these people right now but what i might want to do is identify who they are so that as the financial resources become available, I'll know who I want to go out and pursue as opposed to just putting something up on Indeed and hoping that decent people apply. So, so you're exactly right, Doug. And here's how I talk about Indeed or any of the job boards. Let's not sure. pick on just Indeed. What's happening is HR is going, they're posting the job on Indeed, and now they're praying that the right person is looking at that job posting when they need them. Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? Unfortunately, the candidates are doing the same thing. They're posting their resume on Indeed yeah. or wherever, and they're going, I hope the right person is looking at my resume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, this also assumes that, say, a job that that uh, that gets posted on Indeed is, in fact, something that could be filled by inter by external candidates. Because, so, like for example, when I was terminated from my corporate job in April of 2020, I probably put in somewhere between three and five hundred applications in online and got ghosted on almost all of them. And you know, because there are a lot of companies where what they'll do is they'll simultaneously they'll externally post roles that are really only going to be filled internally because that's their policy. Well, so what ends up happening is you end up having a whole bunch of roles that are kind of out there on job boards that aren't real because they're going to be filled by somebody internal to the company. Now that's probably less of a thing now because like everybody's reshuffling. For a long time, that was one of the one of the big things is that you had no way of knowing whether a job you were applying for was actually real or not. So you're correct. A lot of a lot of companies do it for EEOC purposes. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so, so, uh, so for our education, EEOC, unpack what that means, what that is and what it means. 
it's a government agency that wants to make sure that you have diversity in your organization as opposed to everybody is white male or whatever. Yeah. And that's, what was it? That's the equal, op- yeah, equal employment equal op- opportunity. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Equal employment opportunity. What's the C? Commission. Okay. Yep. Equal employment opportunity commission. Yep. And so they, you know, they're, they'll go and, and if there's a complaint because a company hasn't hired any diverse population, mm-hmm. they will actually go and do an audit. And that company better be keeping a track of the candidates for each position yeah. and why they made the decision not to hire them. And, and so it's something that a lot of maybe smaller companies aren't aware of, and they're not on the radar of EEOC anyway. You've got to be over $50 million in revenue to even begin to be on yeah. the radar unless you're a government contractor, in which case you get on the radar very quickly. Yeah, very rapidly. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I, it, that's, that's one thing. But the other thing that a lot of people do not understand is since HR is an administrative compliance organization, they told the software engineers for the applicant tracking system, screen candidates out so I don't have to look at their resumes. So a lot of people are not aware that if a, if a company for some stupid reason for a professional position says high school degree required uh-huh. and you're a Harvard MBA, did you put high school diploma on your resume? Presumably not. <laughs> you didn't. And what happens? You get dinged because you didn't have those words, high school diploma. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 75% match, you know, <laughs> declined. Right. If you don't have an 85% match to the keywords in the job description in your resume, then you will be screened out. Oh, so that's, that's probably that's similar to what happened to you, Doug, Yeah, is you, you applied to that many positions. You didn't have a good match your resume to that job description. And you may have been the perfect candidate, but your verbiage describing the same work was different than their verbiage describing the same work. Yeah. I, on the one hand, you could think, okay, well, you know, but you know, once I know how the system works, you can hack it. But the problem is that if you can hack the system, that means other people can hack the system. And generally speaking, most people who, because like, you know, I've, uh, you know, one of the things that I've seen also is that you'll get some of these, I call them resume farms, where what they'll do is they'll basically, they'll essentially architect a resume so that it perfectly keyword matches. But then the candidate behind all, but then the candidate behind that resume doesn't quite meet what was being presented in the resume. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's and, not you know, good either. So, yeah, exactly. Where, where you end up is you, you have a different problem that's not necessarily any better than the old problem. Right. And so here's another issue. Our friends in HR, typically, let's say that you had two candidates that were really close. One finished first, the other finished yeah. second. Do they go back to that original search when they're looking for an identical fit for another position in that same area? Of course not. No, they just go and they post and they go, I hope somebody else is looking. Yeah, no, of course not. Well, why would you go back to that one? You know, sorry, you were, you know, there, there were 200 people who applied. We had one role and you were number two. Okay, well, better luck next time. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, essentially, that's what it is. Well, it's mostly because they're not sales professionals and they don't want to, they don't know and they've never been trained to do that. So it's not that 
person's fault. It's really the uh, no, organization's fault. Because the thing is, right, you know, if you think about it from a sales perspective, you know, essentially what, what happens is, you know, all the people who were qualified but didn't make it, you know, what, what they become is they are qualified unconverted leads. Well, okay, so qualified unconverted leads are valuable. What do you do? You pitch them again, you know, because they've showed interest. If somebody showed, if somebody showed interest, that means they're going to be way easier to convert than somebody who's cold. But of course, yeah, I would not expect somebody who is in a compliance role to think like that. That is a 100% sales marketing type of mental construct. Right. And I did that all the time. You know, I, I had people who finished second for positions, you know, for instance, the Washington Post was a client of mine. And, and that was during the eighties when I was doing the fee-based work. And one of the things I discovered about the Washington Post was that women in the 80s, loved the Washington Post. Oh, interesting. And I was recruiting for the IT side of the Post. And my relation, I didn't even know who was in HR, honestly. Yeah. I just worked with the IT director. And we called it data processing in those days. But anyway, the reason women loved the Washington Post, Catherine Graham was the publisher. She was the top dog. Okay. There was no glass ceiling. Yeah, and that's women awesome. women knew that. <laughs> and so- I met sharp women and I just said, would you like to work for the Washington Post? Yeah. And that literally happened in a restaurant one day. I, I had been at the, co- at the Post. They told me that they had some openings. They described the openings. And I went out to lunch before I drove out to Gaithersburg. <laughs> and there was a recruiter in the table behind me interviewing a woman that was a perfect fit. Yeah. And I, I thought, if he gets up, I'm introducing myself. And Doug, almost on cue, he got up from the table and walked away. I went, this is too good. And I reached in my pocket, pulled out my card. Sorry, I couldn't help but over here. Would you like to go to work for the Washington Post? And she said, of course. I said, did he talk to you about the Post? No, I didn't think so because I had a pretty good relationship there. And I said, are you free tomorrow morning from nine until 11? And she said, Yes. I said, okay, you have a, an interview at the post tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. Go in, ask for Dave. I said, do you have an extra resume? And she went, I wasn't expecting to talk to somebody else today. And I went, yeah, I get that. I said, can you, and this was in the day of faxing, right? I said, can you fax it to me this afternoon? Fax, what? <laughs> right, exactly. Only banks do that for heaven's sakes. Anyway, so she faxed it to me. I faxed it down to the post. I called him and let him know he had an interview. And he said, do you have a resume by any chance? I said, no, no, I'll get it to you. And he knew me and he said, sure. Got it to him. He called me two minutes after I sent it. Holy cow. I want to talk to this person. That's awesome. And so I did something really stupid though, Doug. You know, sales guys should be a little smarter than that. And I wasn't always really smart. I told her that to expect an offer before 11 a.m. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that may not have been the best call. <laughs> but at 1030, Dave called me and he said, boy, you got me in a lot of trouble. And I said, why? He said, because I've got three managers already that want her and she's interviewing the fourth and she's going to want her too. <laughs> and I said, well, that means this is a good time for me to let you in on a little secret. <laughs> and he said, what's that? I told her yesterday that you would give her an offer by 11 o'clock. <laughs> well, I hope you he had a good week. And he said, well, I'll see if I can comply. <laughs> 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 I 
and we'd already talked money. So that part was, that part was the easy part. And so at five minutes to 11, he, he uh, extended the offer. He called me at five minutes after he said, just want to let you know. I looked at my watch when I extended the offer, it was five minutes to 11 and at three minutes to 11, she accepted. Okay. (laughs) Slipping under the wire there. That's right. Well, and so, but what I think that, you know, what, what that kind of uh, kind of story shows is that, you know, when you're specific about what you're looking for and you're targeting people who match that profile, then you can implement a lot more intelligence into the process. And again, I think then you can make it a lot less chaotic as well, you know, because like, for example, you know, say, say you're a company because, you know, every company hates paying agency fees for recruiting, but a lot of them do because, you know, because of course, agencies handle recruiting like a sale, you know, like a sales process as opposed right. to a compliance process. And so, you know, but like, for example, if you just stayed in contact, you know, say like, say you brought five people into a final interview, you just stayed in contact with number two through four, assuming that everybody agreed, hey, all these people would be okay here, but they weren't number one. If you just stay in contact with them for similar types of roles, you can avoid having to pay the agency fee for, for redoing the search. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, unfortunately, companies don't do that. And it's Which, just, you know, and that's okay, Doug. You know, I plan on working maybe another five, seven years as a recruiter. That's how I make my money. So, uh, <laughs> right. No, exactly. Precisely. Well, uh, well, Bill, this has been a wonderful conversation. Give people an extra few, yeah, few nuggets of wisdom. And then also I'll let everybody know where they can find out a little more about you. So the main thing is treat recruiting. I call it talent attraction. You want to attract people to you as opposed to try to acquire them. Yeah. So talent acquisition is the HR acquiring people. Talent attraction is the sales process. And so that's the difference in my mind between the two. I'm easy to find. I'm recruiterguy.com. I'm at recruiterguy81 because that's the year I started recruiting on Twitter. And my LinkedIn profile is really easy. My URL is linkedin.com slash in slash recruiterguy. Outstanding. It's almost like yeah, you're branded around it or something like that. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Well, Bill, it's been wonderful talking with you today. Doug, I've really enjoyed it. What a great podcast you have. This is fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Terminal Value Podcast. Please feel free to visit me online at www.terminalvalue.biz where you can subscribe, find me on social, and then we can connect and just keep the conversation going. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you and I hope you have a wonderful day. All rights reserved. No part of this broadcast may be produced in any form by any means without written permission from Business of Life, LLC. All trademarks and brands referred to herein are the property of their respective owners.